Good morning, church. And it is such a joy to be with you today. As we continue in worship, let me invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 14. My name is Kenneth Brock. I have the joy of serving here on staff as the student ministry director. It's always a joy. So thank you to Pastor Duane and the elders for giving me the opportunity to come before you this morning and to preach God's word. Hey, if you're a student in here, if you're a teenager, middle school, high school, we'd love to invite you to our student gatherings. We meet on Sunday nights from 5.30 to 7 here in this very room. Uh, we won't meet tonight because of the holiday weekend, but starting back next week, September 10th, we, we'd love to have you come and hang out with us as we go through the book of Ezra this semester. And if you're a, a male in here, age 10 or older, do you mind just lifting up your hand really quick? All right, good crew, good looking crew in here this morning. Hey, this Friday, this Friday, we have our annual Anchored event. So this Friday night, six o'clock, again, here in this room, we'll get together as men, we'll sing together. If you can't sing, you can just grunt along with everybody else. We'll, we'll have a great time in here as men. Uh, last year, we had a tub of just bacon and right beside it, a tub of just literally sticks of butter, right? You come to the ladies event, there's nice tablecloths, nice setting. Men, we just growl each other and eat butter, okay? So we'd love to have you this, this weekend. Uh, Dr. Pace is gonna speak to us on Friday night, so we're excited for that. And finally, next Sunday, we're gonna start back with some more discipleship opportunities. So Sunday morning uh, at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m., we'll have a couple of different Bible fellowships. So at 8 a.m., uh, Jason Fowler and Chuck Wade are gonna be teaching over here in the mirror room. Those guys are gonna be going through Colossians and Philemon this semester. And then at 11 a.m., myself, Nate Aiken, and Caleb Iverson, our college director, we're going to be walking through Psalm 96 that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. And then we're going to take some time and talk about the church and mission. So we're super excited to offer some discipleship opportunities. So that, again, that's 8 o'clock and 11. And starting next Sunday, both of those will be in the mirror room. We'd love to have you come and check it out. Well, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, what we've been talking about is this book is essentially a sermon over a lot of very important Old Testament institutions and people. And what we've been learning is that Jesus, the Son, is superior. He is better. He is greater than these things. And that's not to demean what happens in the Old Testament, but Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. And so we, that's what we've been learning as we've gone through. Last week in particular, we talked about Jesus and the Sabbath and how the Sabbath is no longer found in a day, but it's now found in a person that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have rest each and every day in and through him. And what we're going to talk about this morning is exactly how Jesus accomplishes that in our own lives. So this morning we're going to talk about Jesus as our great high priest. So if you got your Bibles, I'm going to start reading in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 and read through chapter 5 verse 10. This is what God's word says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes his honor on himself. Instead, as a person is called by God, just as Aaron was, verse 5. 
In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God who said to him, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. He also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse seven, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he had suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Father, I do pray for your help in this time. I pray that we would learn these truths from your word and apply it to our own lives today. I pray that you would accompany the proclamation of your word this morning as we consider what it means for Jesus to be our great high priest. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever needed a go-between, an intermediary, someone in your own life to, to act as, as, as a mediator, as a go-between? Maybe for some of you in here, kids in here, maybe this is your grandparents. Maybe you really want that toy or that candy that your parents won't get you. And so instead of asking your parents, what you do is go to your grandparents because you know you have more pull with them and they have more pull with your parents than you do. So you go with them and you ask them to be your go-between, your intermediary. You really want that candy or you really want that toy. I work with teenagers, teens in here. Maybe you need a wingman or you need a wingwoman to talk to that girl or that guy in your homeroom who you have a crush on, but you can't talk to them on your own because you get really nervous. And so you, you get a wingman, you get a wingwoman. A go-between is somebody who gives you access to someone or something that you would not have on your own. So kids, teenagers, adults, we do this as well. When we call up the doctor's office or the dentist's office to make an appointment, we don't often speak to the doctor directly. We speak to an assistant or a secretary while, while the doctor is off doing whatever doctors do, right? We speak to a go-between in order to, to make our appointment. Or maybe even this year, maybe you have spent your entire life savings in order to go to one of Taylor Swift's concerts, and maybe it's your goal to go and to meet T-Swift. Well, if you go backstage after the concert in no hopes to meet her, and you don't have a go-between with you, it's a pretty good likely that you will be taken off in handcuffs at some point that night because you did not have a go-between. Or if you want to go and meet an important foreign leader, let's say you go to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in order to meet the president, and you start knocking on the White House door without an invitation, without a go-between, you're probably, again, going to be taken off in handcuffs. It's important to have a go-between, someone who gives you access to something or someone you might not ever, <clears throat> you might not have access to otherwise. It reminds me of a story I heard a number of years ago. The, the same thing happens in churches, right? There's a reason we don't put all our personal cell phone numbers for our pastors and elders on the church website. You need to call the church office. So I heard a story about a pastor this happened to. This guy from the community called the church office and he got the secretary on the phone. And the guy on the phone said, hey, I, I need to talk to the head hog down at the trough. And the secretary was a little confused. She said, excuse me. He said, yeah, I, I need to talk to the head hog down at the trough. And she said, sir, we're, we're a church, not a farm. We don't have any hogs here. He said, no, I, I need to talk to the man in charge. I need to talk to the head hog down at the trough. And she said, sir, look, we, we don't refer to him that way. We refer to him as pastor. We refer to him as reverend. We don't refer to him as the head hog. And the man on the phone said, okay, okay, sorry. I, I just wanted to call him because I had a $1 million gift I wanted to give to the church. And so I just wanted to speak with him. And at that time, the secretary saw the pastor walking down the church office and she said, sir, if you could hang on just a minute, I see that big pig walking down the hallway right now. 
Sometimes you need a go-between. Sometimes you need an assistant. You need somebody who can give you access to someone or something that you did not have before. In the Old Testament, this was the case. This was the case from the very beginning of the Bible. God dwelled with his people, Adam and Eve. He, he created them. He made the heavens and earth. He dwelled with them there in the garden. And after he created them, very quickly, they sinned. They, they broke his law. And from that point forward, God's people needed a go-between. And so what God did is he, he created this position in Old Testament Israel called the high priest. And it was the role of the high priest to, to be a go-between. It was the high, job of the high priest to speak to God on behalf of man, is to speak to man on behalf of God. He was the go-between. And what we're going to learn this morning is that Jesus Christ is the perfect go-between. He is the great high priest. He speaks to man on behalf of God, and he speaks to God on behalf of man because of who he is and because of what he does. So the main idea I want to share with you this morning is this. Through the person and work of Jesus as our great high priest, we can have access to God. Through the person and work of Jesus as our great high priest, we can have access to God. Jesus does this by giving three offerings, three offerings that we're going to see here in this text. Offering number one is this. Christ offers sympathy for our weakness. Christ offers sympathy for our weakness, verse 14 of chapter four. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Uh, what you're gonna see throughout this passage is a comparison and a contrast between Jesus, the great high priest, and the high priest of the Old Testament, these earthly high priests. Now, what would happen once a year, Leviticus 16, on the day of atonement, the high priest would go into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies on behalf of all the people. And he would go in and it was the only time of the year that he could do this. So he would pass through this earthly veil, this earthly temple. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that, all right, while, while you've had these, these earthly high priests do this once a year, you now have a heavenly high priest who has passed through the heavens. He has gone into the holiest of holies. He is not just like your earthly high priest. He has not gone into a, a tabernacle made by human hands, but he has gone into a heavenly realm. And therefore, because of that, let us hold fast to our confession. The confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the great high priest. Remember that the author of Hebrews is writing to Christians who come from a Jewish background. And so essentially what he is telling them is, hey, don't go back to this old system, this, this old system where it's only merely earthly men who also have to atone for their own sins. Why would you do that when you have this great high priest who has not just passed through this earthly tabernacle, but he has gone into the holiest of holies and he actually still sits there? Because our great high priest did not just go in once a year, but he has gone once and for all and he still sits at the throne reigning on high. Again, speaking to God on behalf of men and speaking to men on behalf of God. But he continues, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Notice there's a, there's a double negative here, verse 15. For we do not have a great high, sorry, a high priest who is unable, right, so this double negative, again, is, is emphasizing the reality that Jesus does identify with us. But here, here's the contrast, friends. In, in one sense, he is like all of us. He has endured temptation. He has endured suffering. But on the other hand, he is unlike any of us. 
he has done all of this, verse 15 says, without sin. He has endured temptation. He has endured suffering. And through it all, he has not sinned. So not only can Jesus Christ sympathize with you, but he can actually do something about it. Jesus not just gets you, he actually has the power to transform you. Jesus isn't just trying to be your best friend who gets what you're going through. He's trying to be your savior who transforms you into his likeness. Jesus fully identifies with us. There's a story there's a, in the Bible, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Matthew chapter four talks about how Jesus goes out into the wilderness. He's fasting. He's spending time alone with the father. And the devil comes to him and tempts him in a time of need, in a time of weakness when he's identifying with us. Jesus, very hungry, very thirsty, fasting for 40 days. And the devil comes and, and offers, makes offers to him, including being king over all the world. And, and three times when Satan tries to tempt him, Jesus responds with, with what? With the scripture, with the word. He, he does that and he, he, he does these things. But again, it, it's to identify with us. Jesus has been tempted in every way. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry. Jesus also knows what it's like to be rejected by family. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. And get this, Jesus even knows what it's like to be blamed for something that he did not do, to take on the punishment for something that was not his fault. Friends, Jesus identifies with us in all of these ways and more. But again, he does not just relate to us and identify with us. He can actually do something about it because he is our great high priest. Some of you are in here this morning and, and you're hurting, you're broken, and you feel like there is no one else in this room, maybe even your spouse or your friends, who can identify or know with what you're going through. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's true that no one else in this room knows exactly what you're going through and can hurt quite the, late, quite the way you are. But friends, we have a great high priest who can, who has been tempted and has felt weakness in every way. He knows exactly what you're going through, but the good news is that he can actually do something about it. Verse 16, therefore, because we have this high priest who, who understands, who sympathizes with us, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. Again, in the Old Testament, the, the only person who could do this was the high priest. Again, that was once a year. Only, only then could the high priest approach the mercy seat, approach the, the holy of holies in this tabernacle that was made by human hands. And so the author of Hebrews is saying here that, that you and I as Christians, for those of us who place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is something unique about our faith that the Old Testament Israelites never had. And it's this, immediate access to God. Immediate access to God and the freedom to draw near to him continually. That's what you and I have that is unique to this new covenant. The Israelites, again, did not have this immediate access to God, but, but through the work of Jesus Christ, you and I do have this. The, the original language here has this forcefulness of drawing near again and again and again. In other words, you don't have to make an appointment in order to come to the God of the universe. Now, you, you might make an appointment for many other things in your life, when you're hurting, you're feeling sick, you might make an appointment for the doctor. When you have a toothache, you might make an appointment for the dentist. When your car isn't working quite how it's supposed to be, you might make an appointment and you might go to the mechanic. You make an appointment to, to go fix all of these things. There is no appointment. There is no wait list to come to God. 
You can even draw near to him right now. You might even say something like, man, I really wish this preacher would finish up really quick so I can get to lunch. And that's your prerogative. That is your freedom. You have the freedom to do that because of what Christ Jesus has done on our behalf. We have the freedom to draw near to God. We can draw near to him frequently, but notice the manner in which we approach him. The Bible says that we can approach the throne of grace with what? With boldness. One commentator says the idea here is a, is a bold frankness. There is no holding back that which we might want to hide from God because he knows what's on our hearts anyways. It's like the kid who has no filter, who just goes and tells their parents exactly how they're feeling. Kids can't get away with anything. There is no filter. There is no need for a filter when you come before a holy God. There is a, there's a bold frankness when you're talking to your heavenly dad. And when, I, I, when I was growing up, I grew up in church and I was often scared to pray in front of people. Anybody else, you have that? Yeah, you're often scared to pray in front of people. Uh, for me, it was, I, I, don't, I didn't know the right thing to say, or maybe I was scared if I did say something, I would, I'd be, I don't know, kicked out of the church or something like that. But I was often scared to pray. I didn't have confidence and boldness. And it, it's verses like this that give me confidence because it's not about the words that I'm praying, but it's about the one I'm praying to and the one who mediates those prayers. Because again, we have a heavenly go-between, the one who gives us access to someone or something that we do not have before. So Jesus Christ, our high priest, even when we don't know what to pray, the Bible says, even when we're just groaning or grunting, he knows exactly what we need. And he says it to the Father on our behalf. So on the one hand, our prayers are to our heavenly dad. But on the other hand, there is a level of, of seriousness and reverence when we approach the king. You can't, you can't approach the throne without an invitation from the king. Remember the story of Esther. Remember the, the trepidation and the reverence and the holiness with which she approaches the king. And she is, she is scared in that moment, even as she goes on behalf of her people. Even though he is our heavenly father, he is also a king. I, I've got a, a one-year-old daughter. And her name is Maggie. And we've got a couple of windows at the front of our house that are her favorite spot in the house to go to. And these, these windows overlook our street and we're right beside a park. And so there's often people walking up and down our street with their, with their dogs. And every time she sees a big dog or really any animal, or maybe even just a very hairy man, she goes up and she starts knocking on the window, yelling, dog, dog, dog. Now, again, it could be a squirrel out there for all we know, but she, she loves big dogs until she gets really close to them. Now, when we're at the park and we're actually close to big dogs, she, she puts on a brave face. She really does. She, she acts like she's going to pet them when it gets close, but then she, she backs up. There's, there's a healthy fear and there's a healthy reverence. Now, when it comes to small dogs, she's been known to just grab them by the fur and just hold them like that. So we're, we're trying to build in this healthy fear and reverence for small animals as well. It's not going too well. Or even babies here at the church, she thinks that every baby wants to just be held and squeezed and kissed. And we're having to teach her these things that there's a, there's a sort of reverence when you approach other people as well. You can't just claw people in the face. Not that she does that all the time, but sometimes, right? There, there's a healthy fear and there's a healthy reverence when we approach God. Yes, absolutely. He is our heavenly dad who knows exactly what we need, even when we can't articulate that. But at the same time, he's not just the big man upstairs that we pray to. This is a king that we approach. After all, he's sitting on a throne. He's still reigning to this very moment right now and he will continue to reign long after you and I are gone on this earth on into eternity. So he is our dad, but he is also king, and we approach him with this tension. We have this confidence because our great high priest has sympathized with us. The second offering is this. 
Christ offers sacrifice for our sin. So Christ not only offers sympathy for our weakness, he not only gets us and can do something about it, but Christ also offers sacrifice for our sin. Verse one of chapter five. For every high priest taken from among men, that is every human high priest in the history of the Old Testament, they are appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people. So again, you see this relationship, right? To God for the people and then to the people for God to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Verse two, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he is clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. So the high priest here in the Old Testament, there are two conditions for the high priest in order to be able to serve. Number one, a high priest has to have sympathy towards the people, which we just talked about, right? Also in verse two, it says, even those who are ignorant, even those who are going astray, the high priest has to have sympathy for them as well. But the second qualification is that the high priest has to be divinely appointed. Not only must he have sympathy for the people, he also needs to have a divine appointment. The author will come back to that here in just a few moments. So Jesus has been appointed by God and he also has sympathy towards the people. And notice here in these first three verses when it's talking about the earthly high priest, Notice it says a couple of times, they not only offer sacrifice for all the people of Israel, Israel, but who specifically do they also have to offer sacrifice for? Themselves, right? Verse three, because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. These high priests throughout the Old Testament, these are not perfect men. In fact, think, think of the story. One story that comes to mind is in Exodus chapter 32, Moses has been on top of Mount Sinai listening to the Lord. He's come down with these stone tablets. At the same time, he's left his brother Aaron, the high priest, in charge. And essentially, he comes down and he sees this great party scene that is taking place at the bottom of the mountain. Aaron comes down. There's a golden calf that all of Israel is worshiping. And Moses is like, bro, you had one job. What happened? And Moses comes to him at the end of Exodus 32. And he says, listen, Moses, here's what happened, man. I, I was here in front of the people. First of all, these people are cranky. They're crazy. They, they started getting antsy when you were up there on the mountain. I don't know how you lead them all the time. He said, so I, I did what I thought was right. He, I told them to gather all the gold here in the middle of the camp. I, I started a fire. I threw it on the fire and then poof, Moses, I don't know how it happened, but a calf came out, okay? I threw the gold in, threw it in the fire. A calf came out. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. Unfortunately, Aaron, as God's representative to the people in that moment, he sinned and he needed atonement for his sin, as did every other high priest in the Old Testament. And what the Bible is saying right here is that these high priests, these earthly men, even though they were God's representative, even though they were speaking to people on behalf of God and speaking to God on behalf of people, they still needed atonement. Not so, however, with our great high priest. In contrast, Jesus had no sin for which he needed to atone for. He did not need to ask for righteousness on his behalf. In fact, he would actually exchange his righteousness for our brokenness. And he was divinely appointed by God as well. Verse four, no one takes this honor, this, this honor of being the high priest on himself. Instead, a person is called by who? By God, just as Aaron was. And in the same way, in the same way of being called by God, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God who said to him, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. He also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The high priest here, friends, is not a volunteer position. 
There is no ad campaign going around Israel saying, hey, come apply to be our next high priest. There's great health benefits in this position. In fact, the high priest, when he would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies to make atonement, they, they would tie a rope or a chain around his ankle just in case he died on the way in so they could pull him out afterwards. Not great health benefits for this job. There, there was no application process on LinkedIn. There was no visiting Indeed. There was no talking with the employer. There was no interview process. It was divine appointment by God only. And what the Bible is saying is that God, not only has he appointed these earthly high priests, but he has appointed his son, his son, the perfect son, his only son, to be our great high priest on our behalf. And he goes through Jesus Christ's resume, if you will, right here. Jesus Christ, he is the son of God, that is God the Father. Verse 6, he is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek as well. We'll come back to that idea in just a second. Here's the point. Jesus Christ has this divine appointment by God, and yet, yet, he is different from all the earthly high priests that have come before him. He did not sin as the other high priests had, like Aaron and the other ones. He had no sin for which he needed to atone for. He, he would not need to sacrifice once a year going into the Holy of Holies, but he would sacrifice once and for all. He would not die as other high priests have and continue to do after Aaron, but Jesus Christ continued to live to this day and continued to sit in that Holy of Holies beside God the Father. Jesus Christ did not need to ask for righteousness for himself, but again, he would exchange his own righteousness for the brokenness of the people. Jesus Christ is not the high priest that we deserve, but he is the high priest that you and I desperately need in order to have a go-between, in order to have access to God, the Father. This figure of Melchizedek is mentioned in verse 6. He'll also be mentioned again in verse 10. The author of Hebrews will come back to this uh, in force in chapter 7, so I'll, I'll let you save all your hard questions for Pastor Duane. But the emphasis here for, for Melchizedek here in this chapter is that he embodies the great high priest. Melchizedek in Genesis 14, his name means king of righteousness. He, his title is the king of Salem, that is peace. It comes from Shalom. So not only is he this king of peace and righteousness, but he is portrayed as a prophet, priest, and king. And now we see the son of David, Jesus Christ, promised throughout the Old Testament. He is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. He is the one who speaks to God on our behalf and speaks to us on God's behalf. He is the perfect priest who offers these sacrifices as we've seen. And he is the perfect king because he continues to reign until this day and he will continue to reign for all of eternity. Melchizedek points us to the sacrifice that Christ brings on behalf of sin. He embodies all these things. Offering number one, Christ offers sympathy for our weakness. Offering number two, Christ offers sacrifice for our sin. Offering number three, Christ offers salvation from our death. Christ offers salvation from our death. Verse seven, during his earthly life, that is the earthly life of Jesus Christ, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So verse seven, it's got this idea that of, of obedience and, and learning from suffering into verse eight. He learned obedience from what he had suffered. This is different from how you and I normally learn obedience. 
Oftentimes, we learn obedience from what we suffer due to our disobedience. Let me say that one more time. We often learn obedience from our suffering that results from our disobedience. Let me give you an example. Again, I work with teenagers, so this doesn't apply to any of our teenagers in this room because I know they are perfect angels, right? Actually, we, that's not true, right? We learned a few weeks ago, Christ is superior to these angels. So uh, I'll say it like this. Our teenagers in this room never get into trouble. Parents, we with me, we're chalking. Just in case your teenagers do get in trouble, there is often uh, punishment. There is often suffering that comes from our, their disobedience. If they uh, stay out past curfew, if they're on their phone when they're not supposed to be, if they're not uh, eating what they're supposed to, there is often punishment that comes with their disobedience. And their punishment might be something like this. It might be taking away their phone for a certain time. It might be taking away their driving privileges. It might be making them eat broccoli for the next week. Whatever, whatever that punishment looks like in your house, there is often punishment. There is often suffering that accompanies disobedience. The same thing happens, uh, enter in any illustration you want to about suffering and punishment for your stage of life, whether that's broccoli or chocolate or whatever you punish yourself with, right? Our suffering often results from our disobedience. Here's what the Bible is saying about Jesus, though. He has learned obedience, though he has not disobeyed. He has experienced his suffering, not from disobedience, but from obedience. Here's the connection. When you and I suffer, because of our obedience to God, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. When you and I suffer as a result of following what God says in his word, it is uniquely Christ-like. Christ suffered because he was obedient to the Father, not because he was disobedient. This is different from any kind of gospel you might hear that is wealth, health, prosperity. This is not what the Bible promises. The Bible does not promise an easy life full of free of pain and no suffering whatsoever. But the Bible says that if you follow Jesus, there will actually be suffering in this world. But take heart, because that is uniquely Christ-like. To be obedient to God and to experience suffering is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus does this for our salvation here. Verse 9 says, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. The word save here in verse 7 and then again in verse 9, it means to heal or to make whole. This, this is for those of us in here who need healing. This is for those of us in here who have felt broken. This is for those of us in here who have felt weak. This is for those of us in here who have felt ashamed over what we have done. This is for those of us in here who have felt guilt. This is what Christ has died for. He has died for your sin. Often when, I, when I'm sharing the gospel with someone, this is a connection that I, that I would try to make because I think we can all agree whether you're a Christian or not, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Just turn on the news, right? There are wars. There are rumors of wars. There are hurricanes. There are wildfires. There are deaths. Maybe the deaths of, of someone close to you, a friend or a family. This, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. But the Bible teaches that, that the problems with this world it, are, are not out there problems. It's not because sin is out there in the world. The Bible teaches that the problem is that sin is in here. What's the problem with this world? I am. You are. The sin that, that dwells in each of us. And so this is what Christ has come to do. Christ has not come to fix the world out there. He has come to transform you in here. This is a sin problem that you and I have, this brokenness, this guilt, this shame. But the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to feel that anymore. The weakness, the brokenness, all those things that you feel, 
So one day when you and I stand before the Father in front of this heavenly throne room that we've gotten a picture of this morning, one day the Father will ask us why he should let us into heaven to dwell with him. And you and I could stand there for all of eternity going back and forth and we would never be able to give a satisfactory answer as to why he should let us in to dwell with him. He is holy, we are not. But the good news is there is a great high priest who continues to sit there at the throne. And this is what he says. He said, that son or that daughter has placed their faith and trust in me. Therefore, their brokenness is not just cast to the side, but I've actually replaced it with my righteousness. The son sits there as our great high priest so that when you and I come to the throne room of heaven, God, if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, he will accept the righteousness of his son on behalf of our brokenness. That is the good news of the gospel. He has offered salvation when we deserve death, when we deserve separation from God. This is what our great go-between does. He offers sympathy for our weakness. He offers sacrifice for our sin. Most importantly though, he offers salvation from our death. Our death, the result of our sin that separates us from God, on the Day of Atonement, we've talked about this a couple of times already. Again, the high priest enters in once a year, but he would enter in with a couple of animals, two goats. And these goats that he would enter in, this is Leviticus 16, he would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. And with one goat, it would be a sin offering for the people so that God, again, could have this relationship. It would, it would cover the sins of the people. He would slay the goat and there would be blood on the mercy seat there in the tabernacle. But there was also a second goat. And with this second goat, the high priest would take it and he would put it, his hands on either side of its head. And over this goat, he would confess the sins of the people. Not only was there this sacrifice in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, but there would be this scapegoat. And this scapegoat would be sent out into the wilderness, sent out to a desolate place to die, a horrible scene. And this is exactly what Christ has done for us. He embodies both of these sacrifices and he embodies also the high priest who makes the sacrifice. He has died on our behalf in the tabernacle, in the heavenly holiest of holies. He has taken our sin away like the scapegoat and like the high priest, he is our go-between. He's the one who comes on my behalf, on your behalf. This is what Jesus Christ has done. Again, a go-between, someone who introduces or connects to you, gives you access to someone or something that you would not have on your own. This is what Christ Jesus has done for us. I'm sure at some point in your life, you've needed a go-between. Whether it was calling a secretary at church or whether it was calling somebody to make an appointment, maybe you're even sitting beside your spouse this morning and your relationship is the result of a go-between. Somebody connected you and put you together. At some point in your life, you've needed a go-between. You've either gone to a concert and wanted to meet Taylor Swift, or maybe you've knocked on the door of the president, but you've needed a go-between. This summer, I got a chance to meet one of my preaching heroes. I, I really looked forward to, to meeting this guy, and I connected with his assistant, and I had been emailing her back and forth and finally got the opportunity to fly out and to hear him preach in person and get to meet him. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, out of everybody that you could uh, meet, you want to meet a preacher or a pastor. You're a nerd, all right? Well, you, you take Taylor Swift. You take a foreign leader, all right? I'll take this, this preaching guy. So I get out there. I've been emailing with his assistant, and this assistant connected me with the guest services lady via email. I get there. The guest services lady takes me to my seat there at the, the front of the church, and I, I'm excited for worship. 
And, but she tells me on her way out, she's like, Kenneth, just so you know, uh, the pastor isn't able to meet you today in between services like we had planned. He had another meeting come up. You're not gonna be able to do it today. So I was a little disappointed. I was crying on the inside, not on the outside. I had fallen all the way out there just to do this. And so I, I sat through worship, still excited to be there. I, I was planning on staying for both services. So in between services, I walked around and I, I prayed to myself again, approaching the throne of grace with boldness. I thought to, I prayed to myself and prayed to the Lord, God, I know I flew all the way out here. Could you just make something happen? I don't care how you do it. You can part the Red Sea. You can do whatever you want to, but I would love to make something happen in order to meet this guy I flew out there to meet. I kid you not, I prayed this fear and I walked down the hall and there's these two ladies talking and as they say goodbye, I'm not like, I'm not weird, like eavesdropping over their conversation or anything, just to clear that up. They're talking there. And as they uh, go apart, one of them says bye and says the name of this lady. And it's the assistant that I've been emailing over the summer. Again, I've never met her in person. I have no idea what she looks like, but it's the assistant I've been emailing. And so I go and I introduce myself to her. I said, hey, I'm Kenneth Brock. I'm the PhD student who's been emailing you back and forth. Uh, just wanted to introduce myself to you. And she's like, Kenneth, I'm so glad you're here. Have you had a good trip? And asking all these questions, did you get to meet the pastor? And I, I told her I'd had a great trip so far, but unfortunately I didn't get to meet my, my preaching hero that I had flown out here to meet. And she said, well, do you have a few minutes? And I said, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm staying for the second service. She says, come with me. And she takes out this little card out of her pocket and we go up this private elevator up to the second floor where all the church offices are. We go up there and she scans the card again and we go into the offices where, where this pastor was having this meeting. And she said, wait right here for just a second, I'll be right back. And I hear her go into the office. Again, the pastor's in this big meeting. She says, hey, can you, can you come here with me for a second? I've got somebody who would like to talk with you. And so this guy gets up, leaves his big meeting, comes out and I get my picture taken with him, get to talk with him a little bit about ministry and uh, most importantly, get to see all his books up on the wall right there. And I was excited for that. Sometimes you need a go-between. Sometimes you need someone who has access to someone or something that you did not have. In that story, I, I didn't even know there was an access card to get into a private elevator to get up to the church offices. But this, this assistant, this lady, this go-between, she had exactly what I needed in order to have this, this meeting that I had wanted. And maybe that's true for your life. Maybe you've had that go-between moment. Again, maybe you're sitting beside a spouse that is a result of that go-between moment. But what we've learned this morning is that Jesus Christ is the go-between that, that we truly need. And meeting him, meeting the Father is greater than, than meeting my preaching hero or even meeting your spouse or even meeting anybody else you can think of in this world. Jesus Christ is the great go-between who gives us access to the Father and what we talked about this morning, these three offerings that we've talked about, these are reasons that you and I should desire this access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Number one, he's truly able to sympathize and understand you. And not only can he understand you, he can actually do something about it. Because number two, he offers forgiveness of sin. He's offered sacrifice on your behalf. You don't have to feel guilt anymore. You don't have to feel shame anymore. Those burdens that you've been carrying around this whole time, you don't have to deal with those things anymore when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. But third and finally, Jesus Christ also offers salvation. He offers salvation from sin so that you no longer have to be separated from God, but you can have access to the King who offers life for all of eternity. And if you're here this morning and you haven't experienced our salvation, we're gonna have a couple members here on the front steps after the service. We would love to talk to you or we'd love to ask you to ask some questions for the member that invited you here this morning. 
Jesus Christ offers salvation on our behalf as our great high priest. That's the reason that we come together and we worship. That's the reason that we have access to God the Father. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for sending your son as our great high priest, one who was perfectly obedient and powerful, one who not only sympathized with us, but could actually do something about it. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you have you have exchanged your perfect life for our sin when we trust in you. And we pray that you remind us of the access that we have to your throne. Father, we are grateful for the sacrifice of your son. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.